So, hi, uh, welcome to Crash the Kaggle podcast. Um, Kerry Suter from um, Squad Run and uh, quite well known through Squad Run and apparently used to do a bit of running and uh, you've set up or helped set up the Trail and Coaches Corner on Facebook. Is, is that about right? Yeah, um, some running. I think I'm at about, it's something, it feels like forever, like maybe 15 years, I think, of running and probably almost that of coaching and uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was always, have always been pretty active on the scene. Um, I feel like uh, part of the furniture now. Um, uh, but I'm start there. I'm still getting some stuff done. Uh, probably, uh, I feel like uh, pretty long in the tooth and well past my prime. But uh, I'm still having fun with some shoes on. And uh, those that can't do teach, right? Yep. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, so when did you... Did you kind of fall out of the womb running or what happened? Oh, no, I think I was, I was about, I, I'm an XIT guy. So I used to do a lot of network security for big business. And um, uh, I, I was about 29 going on 30 and I could feel the weight getting on and I was getting close to 90 kegs and I'm not a particularly tall guy. Yeah. So I was like, I got to do something about this or I'm going to have to buy bigger pants. Um, and I did some research and it worked out that... Um, you know, I could do an hour of cycling or 45 minutes of swimming or 30 minutes of running and being an inherently lazy person, I chose running because it took the least amount of time. Right. And, um, the very next thing I researched was how to form a habit. And uh, the research was about sort of 42 to 47 days of repetitively doing something and then it becomes normal for you. And I thought, let's make exercise habitual. Um, let's choose running because it's really easy. So I set myself a real simple goal of doing at least two Ks every day for a hundred days. And, um, and really out of that um, was born, like, I guess, a fledgling running career. I started to enjoy it. Um, I never had any propensity to do, to do it particularly well. I mean, the first two Ks hurt me. Um, and, you know, I had doms for a week, but, you know, battled through. And I think by the end of it, I was running, you know, five or six Ks a day. And um, I think that consistency let me build upon that. And by the time I was 32, I was sort of running um 31 minutes for 10k and you know 71 minutes for half marathons and you know i sort of felt like i sort of hit my strides a little bit at sort of you know it's always it's always about like getting good information applying it to yourself meaningfully but being patient and letting that take effect i think is what um, runners need to do so yeah. you you're never too late to start i guess you know is the thing there and you, you never need to be an athletic person to begin with so never particularly good at any sports and running sort of favors those people that just are patient and apply the uh, discipline well yeah yeah I started when I was 40 so I kind of know that but um so you seem to have the mindset where you do a bit of research and you apply what you learn and, and you're trying to apply evidence to to what you do is that something that you've always had you know I don't I, th I was thinking about it. We all should be doing that, right? We should all be seeking qualified sources and good quality information and then taking that on board. You know, like I never, I, you know, the number of times in the last week I've just typed, you know, into someone's Facebook status, everything I've learned about vaccines, I learned on YouTube. Um, <laughs> Because the state of the world right now, you know, the, the misinformation highway that we've got, you know, someone said the other day, what did they say? Um, we used to think that access to, inf access to information was the real barrier to knowledge. And it yep. turns out that that wasn't the problem at all because people have got an infinite amount of access to, knowledge, to information right now, but they're not, excuse me, not fucking applying it, you know, it's yeah, really no. good. And, and I'll give you a few. Okay. I, I keep an eye every day on what the Lancet puts out on what science daily puts out 
nature.com um, and Eureka Alert. There's all sorts out there. In a few clicks of a few websites, you can get really good quality of information that's peer-reviewed and, and insightful, and you can apply it to what you already know. It's not necessarily the gospel because it's not always right. And you know the best way to disprove science is with better science. So we're always waiting for better science, and there always will be. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. That's pretty much what science is about, is trying to disprove itself every step of the way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, information technology, I suppose you're kind of used to lots and lots of information, but... Um... <laughs> yeah, I, mine, was, um, mine was network security, so it was always the bad guys. I think I had... Um, <laughs> trying to stop had a... the information. Yeah, absolutely. It was always good taking, I used to break things and then put them back together to, you know, that's how you see how things work. And I think when you put in front of computers or networking equipment, it was always right. Okay. How do I exploit this? How do I hack it? And then obviously that understanding is how do I prevent those sorts of things happening as well. So, um, my, um, my, my second mother, she, uh, was the first woman, uh, in the world to clone a sheep. So she worked in unison with, um, the research group in the UK that, um, that you know gave birth to Do the sheep dolly which was the first clone oh, sheep and she was working yeah. at dsir at the time and you know replicated the experiment yeah. you know in the in the months and years that followed so i think knowledge is uh, science uh, literature has always been around me in some regard yeah was she, was she ever tempted to steal that technology and apply it to her children or anything Oh, you know, interestingly, it's actually easier to apply a lot of that technology to to human sperm because uh, human sperm is uh, much larger and easier to manipulate than it is, um, you know, bovine or equine. You know, a lot of the other sperm is, is very small. And so what they do is a, a lot of their work is to separate the X's and the Y's to begin with. So it's actually very easy to do with, with uh, human sperm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. So um, moving on, you're running. So a 31, 32K, uh, 30 minute 10K, and after three three years of running, it's, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's it was really consistency for me. And it's, it's, it's interestingly, Steve, it's probably one of the things that we see really lacks in a lot of our trail running culture is we have these sort of this weekend warrior mindset where, you know, the guys and girls get together and they judge up the mountains every weekend. And then they kind of just sort of muck around in the week and don't get a lot done. Whereas I think, you know, optimally, what we know is that if you can train six or seven days a week um, in a more measured approach and apply what loading that you can each day in a sensible way, frequency, is always better than just outright volume. So, yeah. you know, like two 10K runs is better than one 20K run. And, and we know this, at a, even at a cellular level, you know, there was some great research out of uh, Melbourne um, just last year about the, the efficacy of, of double days versus single days. And I think I just was able to apply a, a good amount of consistency for a good period of time. I was able to ramp up the volume. And I think at that age, um, you can absorb it well if you're patient. You don't break so easily. Um, you know, I was running 160 to 200k weeks by the end of it. Um, and, you know, good things are going to come. And there was really no such thing as junk miles. If you're chasing good k's and getting a good amount of overload stress through, you know, higher intensity training as what well. What is this thing about junk mile, miles? <laughs> um, 
Well, probably, probably. So a lot of coaches will say the junk miles are the middle speeds, right? So your easy stuff, easy, hard stuff, hard, you know, do okay. as much easy stuff as you can. Um, a couple of times a week, maybe two or three times a week, apply some overload stress with high intensity stuff. That's some nine out of 10 effort. And yeah. they'll say that the true junk miles, are the sort of medium paced runs where you're like, I've got 40 minutes. I did one tonight. I had 40 minutes spare and I ripped out the door and did like four minute 10 Ks up and down the road. Um, and, and you know, that, that kind of is the junk miles, because I've applied too much stress now to do a good quality training run tomorrow. And I haven't really got enough time in. I haven't really worked. If, you, if I don't like breaking things down into zones, but I've worked in sort of a middle speed now, which is relevant only if I was training specificity for a race that required me to run at those speeds. So a marathon or a half marathon. What I did tonight would have been towards the end of a program for someone that was training to run at those speeds. But generally speaking, running at seven out of tens, that's kind of the junk mile zone for most athletes. Keep your easy stuff easy and yep. put your hard stuff hard. Yep. So, you know, uh, you can jog around as much as you like and then a couple of high intensity runs during the week. Yeah, absolutely. What about, what about if you do a long run that goes up and down hills? So, okay, so there's a, there's a few things happening here. Trail runners, I think, probably for the most part, unfortunately, spend too much time in their trails, and they should just be, you know, chasing more kilometers and getting out on the street and working on the, the biomechanic, that kinetic of movement, that neuromuscular recruitment of moving at a regular pace for a long period of time. And I'd, lo I'd love to see more of our trail runners, because we've got such a massive and well-developed scene that, yeah. you know, realistically speaking, is probably underperforming, underperforming a little bit um, if they did a little bit more sort of rhythm runs and road runs. But those undulating runs are excellent and one of the things Steve that I think probably most people will miss with those undulating runs is they're more inclined to work the ascents and forget the descents and there's never any focus on eccentric downhill running and if you speak to anyone that's done say Northburn's a great example they probably ran out of downhill running before they ran out of uphill they could they could hike up any hill but they were walking backwards down hills and that's simply they hadn't developed the eccentric strength without because they never did any downhill running so yeah. it's, it is part of the sphere of running. So undulating runs, great. Occasionally put some harder efforts into the downhills. Cool. Well, that, that's, that's quite nice because I actually, um, it sounds like I might be doing it right because I actually walked backwards down, uphill. Oh, good. And, and could still run downhill. So, you know, spending so much time in my cargo, I think. Anyway, um, go, so you started squad run with, with Ellie, right? So I, I just before actually just before I met Ali, technically speaking, if the breakup ever happens, that's how the league, the lawyers need to see it. Oh, but, really? Oh, oh, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, you heard it here first. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to tell you that I'm a marriage celebrant. Are you guys married? She's a marriage celebrant. Oh, well, if you, you two ever meet? Do you have to fight? How does that work? Is it a dance off or? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But I don't think she can marry herself. No, she can't. No. I'm quite safe there, but maybe you could marry us. You do, you know, squ can... do, you do squad run, run ceremonies? Have you started those? Uh, have we married any athletes? We have married some athletes, but not our athletes. Yeah. Oh, oh we, she married Chris, and Chris Townley. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Ah, Waikere Moana. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I snuck in a few uh, nutscapes. Do you know what a nutscape is, Steve? No. Uh, it's where you get a really good photo framed up, but but people after a few moments of looking at it would realize that there's something out of focus at the top of the screen, and it's a little bit hairy and a little bit blurry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Feel free to Google a good nutscape, mate. If you can get a good nutscape into any official marketing anywhere, I highly recommend it.
Right, we'll try a few of those. Yep, so um, you started Squad Run just before you met Ellie, but now you're kind of work partners as well as life partners. Yes. Uh, uh, I just, uh, we were doing, I, I was doing a nationwide tour actually with uh, Paul and Tim from Tarawera, and we're just talking about getting into trail running. Oh, uh, uh, Craig Kirkwood was, was there as well. And we were talking to athletes, um, and I didn't have any capacity to coach anymore. My time was full at the time you know, the, the only mechanism for coaching athletes is private coaching where you, you know, either email or, or, you know, check Strava or training peaks or whatever. It's very heavy handed and it takes, you know, like an hour, 45 minutes to an hour a week for each athlete. And you've kind of got to charge 40 or 50 bucks per athlete for that. And, yeah. and, it, and it's very laborious. And um, uh, I wanted to try and find a mechanism to help more people um, by, you know, giving information um, and providing, you know, more limited support and I realized in these um, discussions, people wanted to be coached, um, but we didn't have the capacity to do it. People wanted information, but we didn't have a good way to disseminate, disseminate that information. Uh, and I wanted to d establish a platform. It was, in, it was in Wellington, actually, I asked the room, and nearly every single hand went up when, when asked the question, if there was a way that we could help you, for at the time, it was 10 bucks a week, just to give you good quality information, good training programs, and you know, every now and again, check in, check in on you, um, you know, more sort of group-based leverage support, would you be interested? And every hand in the room went up, and I really had to come up with a way to do it. Um, and it's, <laughs> I, well, I, I, I just want to help people, you know, this is yeah. how it comes about, you know? It, it's good seeing people achieve stuff, you know? Like if you've ever been on a finish line for any period of time, it's so inspirational. And if you're part of that journey as well, if you're a coach um, or if you're a mentor or something and you see someone achieve something, you have almost the same emotion that they have when they cross the line. And I mean, we're just really lucky that what we get to do it. And I think in probably five years, we've helped around about 4,000 people with Squadron. And, you know, wow. we regularly are coaching across Australia and New Zealand, probably about 450 to 550 athletes at any one time. Yep. Um, and, and we still do private coaching, but um, it's really not the focus of what we do. Yeah, I, um, I think I, I took one of your coaching programs for about four weeks once, but I kept getting injured. So it spread out to about eight weeks because I had one week and then a week off and then a week and then... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a little on me there. I've got, to, um, I've got to find... It's very hard to get the loading right with, with every athlete because, you know, if for a coach to push an athlete, they need to be on the, for, the fringe of what's achievable for them, right? So we do that with loading and intensity and you want to, dial, you want to sail the, the ship into the wind as hard as you can without breaking the mast. But right. you often don't know when that cracking sound is going to come. Yeah, yeah I was wondering about that because with, with older people, um, I'm not that much older, to be honest, um, but, um, but older people, how do you, how do you, you know, you, have, you, have, you won't have so much warning when that cracking sound's coming. Uh, it's pretty varied, to be honest. You know, we've got Frank Falapi in, in Australia is 81. And, oh, and he runs... older than me. Yeah. yeah, he is. And he runs 22 minutes for 5k. Um, and so, oh yeah, yeah, right. Um, and you know, that, that's not, I wouldn't say that that is, he's, he is a little bit of an anomaly, but it's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, everyone is capable of, uh, of, you know, applying good work and getting good results. Um, I think when you get a little bit older, the, the focus has to change a little bit and probably, um, you know, you're going to take it easy on those eccentric runs. Strength training is going to become a focus. Um, getting out and having hiked days is going to be really beneficial. But, what you know, the, 
hiked days. You know, put a backpack on, oh, yeah. get up. Uh, what do you have there? Pineapple? Is it Pineapple Hill? You yeah, go yeah, up there? Pineapple Track, yeah. Yeah, Pineapple Track. Um, you put 15 kilos on your back and get up there. I mean, that's a, that's a training day. Yeah, um, awesome. Getting into Southern Alps and all of those things were, are beneficial and will help, um, you know, the, the older athletes. Uh, time, time on feet and, and developing strength is key. So less strength, uh, less speed, perhaps? Uh, you're still capable of it. It's just not the first thing you want to dive into. Um, and you'd want to be a little bit more careful with it. Uh, the bone density has come down a little bit, obviously, with older athletes, but we actually don't see as many stress fractures in older athletes. You're more likely to see a tendon injury. Um, and I think that's probably a little bit about um, synthesis of gelatin um, and... Uh, yeah, the the body is not is not quite. Let's face it, it's not quite as strong um, when we get on the the other side of fifty. Yeah, we get to see that when we look at bone scans as well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, in saying that, you know, working it um, strengthens it, or at least preserves yep. some of the bone density, at least. So yeah, unfortunately, you can't you can't you know they say you can't really build it back in any meaningful no. way, right? Yeah. No, you've got to no. get out and jump up and down for the first 15 years and then you spend the last 60 years, 70 years looking after it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You can slow down the, um, the loss, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, back to squad run. So 4,000 people in five years. Is that kind of – what? Is that the thing that motivates you is just helping people and seeing people grow? Is that what tickles your yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. So we're the kind of coaches that'll try and get to the finish line a bit, you know, start line and finish line. So we're actually at events. Yeah. So a lot of what we do is really heavily integrated into events. I think it's really weird that, you know, to all the events I go to, I hardly ever see coaches there. And I think it's, it, it is really weird, right? Because if they're invested in this journey, they're, they're going to be there to see you yeah. do the thing. So, yeah. so I, you know, we do, I do a lot of microphone work, um, uh, commentary work for for a lot of events or at the very least you know we're woven through the event in some way um you know we do a lot of course clearing course marking um so we usually know the courses or we do training camps for the courses or those sorts of things so i guess we're woven into it there but the, the benefit is for us is like when you're at the event yeah you you know you want to be there to see them all finish we kind of have this uh i don't know it's it's an it's an unwritten rule that we will be there until every single squadron athlete comes in and quite often they will be the last athlete across the line because my athletes, we have a success rate. Like um, UTA 100K has like a 23 to 27% uh, DNF rate. Well, we have a 2% DNF rate. So if, you tra if you're training with us to UDA, you know, you're like more than 10 times more likely to finish it than yep. the person standing next to you. Yep. <laughs> and I think part of that is that they know that Kerry and Ellie are on the finish line. And, yeah. and if, if they arrive via the car park, well, I'm going to tear shreds off them. I'll tell you what, I did UTA last year. I didn't even know you guys. And uh, I came across the finish line and, uh, and Ellie was on the microphone and she goes, here's Steve Tripp, he's qualified for Crush the Cable. <laughs> and um, I was just about in tears. I thought, shit, there's two people here. I thought there was two people in this country who knew me and both were doing the 50K. But there was someone on the mic who knew who I was. Yeah. yeah. The infamous, you have qualified for Crash the Cargill. <laughs> I have to applaud you guys for bringing the absolute best cheer to the event and trail running scene in, in memory. It is hilarious, the addition that you guys have brought. And I know it's all tongue-in-cheek. That uh, I don't know who edited up your um, shouty Hitler scene in the bunker, but, man, I, I think I was crying when I listened to that. 
Oh, it's about to be re-released. I've oh, my next week's job in between work. Yeah. Blinking gold. You guys are great. And, you know, never stop ragging on Chris Townley and the Blue Lake 24-hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he deserves it. Um, he does. Stealing he does. our idea. Oh. <laughs> yeah, good one. And I, I guess um, that Lazarus guy, he's come up with a few similar ideas too across yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's following us closely. You can tell yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. No, thanks for that. Um, yeah, but I did certainly appreciate the, um, the the UTA commentary. That was really good. Yeah, I think we'll actually inject a little bit more of that. I think people, you guys are, are well known enough. You know, it's a bit of a zeitgeist thing. The you've qualified for Crush the Cargill. So maybe as a few spot prizes for uh, for UTA yeah. when we're back there again, I'll, I'll get a couple of you've qualified for Crush the Cargill cards and I'll <laughs> hand them out to people that, I don't know, maybe get her horrific cramp on the finish line and, and go to ground or anything along those lines. And I'll, I'll make sure that they're invited to, uh, what does Chris call you guys? The, uh, the Dunedin bearded ladies running club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, when he turns up and, um, wins the trick, you know, then he can talk. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he's actually back, but running a little bit now, which is good to see, but with him, it's always hard to, uh, stop him from going out and doing, you know, 20 hour adventures when he's just got a whiff of, of fitness. So, um, I constantly am trying to rein him in. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's hard. Eh? There's a few people like that. Hey, um, so back to, back to squad run again, you do lots of training camps. So a lot, sort of all around the country. Uh, yeah, Australia are probably uh, um, the biggest training camps. Our UTA training camps are pretty massive. We do a, a three of those, and they're 40 people each. Um, mm-hmm. We the, Our favourite's got to be the old ghost training camp, but, you know, we can only get sort of 12 people on that one. And, um, you know, that's over a few days, and the helicopter brings in gear. And uh, it's really good. But we, we wanted to do one for a shot over moonlight marathon, but it's it's really hard to get the – the numbers to work there. The accommodation's quite expensive on site. Um, and I, I'm one of these, I'm, 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 as I said, long in the tooth, but maybe a bit like you, Steve, I I feel uncomfortable at spending more than a thousand dollars on anything other than a car. So, um, a training camp, uh, you know, I always try to price things at a good value amount. So the training camps very much have to be like that for us as well. So um, again, the real, the mechanism is there's never an agenda. It's not necessarily a squad run thing. I'm not all about pushing our brand at people. If people want a coach, they should seek out a coach. Um, I don't want to tell people they need a coach um, because if you, you I mean, you're basically press ganging people. I might as well be clobbering them in nightclubs and waking them up in the morning and telling them they're a distance runner but um let people find us it actually happened to me on the plane once it wasn't a guy telling me but i a guy started talking to me about what i was going to and i just happened i was on the way to uta actually so i started telling him about it and by the time we got off the plane this was from dunedin to christchurch you know it's only 40 minutes long he was decided he had to be a distance runner and um, was yes. going to get up, get up in the morning and run 10 kilometers. I feel like this is the church of, oh, and that's a different podcast. Um, I feel like we need to be, everyone just needs to find one other person. If you can recruit one more person to come in and do our silly thing. Um, I mean, it is that much fun, right? You must've dragged a lot of people out onto the trails 
Well, if you think be, back, to be honest, with, with this guy, I was actually checking the death notices the next day because I, I really didn't think it was a good idea for him to get up and do 10 kilometers. <laughs> oh, no, probably not. Mate, you know, Chris, Chris Martin's another guy like that. I think his um, Wellington Big Run uh, group that he has, the, oh, yeah. um, they're always up in the Tararoas. And um, he's, he wants everyone to go and try the Scormin to Kaitoki run um, and prove their their manliness. Uh, if you ever th- if you ever consider dragging massive balls across the Tararoas, you can try that one. It's a very tough day out. I, w- I would if I was there. It's um it's the wrong island for me. Yeah. Well, you got enough hills down there, anyways. The end of the wrong island. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, um, you know, you mentioned old ghost training camp, and I was I was just I did some research. Um, and uh, 2017, you were 135th out of 139 at the old ghost. Yes, did you see how I finished with story there? Did you see how I finished with Steve? No, no, just I've just I got it on the. Um, That's all right. I I was I spent the day with Ali. She wanted to do her oh, first really? fifty miler, and um, it's funny because I I've actually mentioned that that is probably my favourite ever day of running, really? my whole life. Well, you think about everything I've done in running has always been about performance yeah. and progression. Yeah. And if you if I ever stood on a start line. I would fucking kill anyone to beat them to the finish line. And I would, there was nothing I wouldn't do to win. You know, like the red mist would come down. I was like Michael Schumacher behind the steering wheel. Um, And it was so cool to commit my day to someone else, see their journey and thoroughly just enjoy what I was doing at a pace that was enjoyable for me. I climbed trees. I swam in lakes. (laughs) I picked flowers. Um, you know, no dis- disrespect to Ali. She had a tough day. She yeah. she she doesn't mind saying it. It was she, she was in a I think it was you know, high fifteen hours you took. So it's still a long time on your feet either way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But shit, I laughed. I mean, I had so much fun. The things I saw, I, I saw, I saw a photographer nearly get killed by a tree that fell over on a track. Man, I saw some things that day. I I caught a freshwater crayfish in Ghost Lake, and and presented it to the aid station with a bunch of flowers and asked for a nice seat by the window. <laughs> we were the last people to the aid station. <laughs> Is this guy all right? Yeah. We were the last people to that aid station, and I still remember the aid station was laid out with everything that they had, right? Yeah. And when you're the last person to an aid station, your first thought is, is all of this for now. me? This is all for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how much Red Bull I left that aid station with? <laughs> they had opened every can of Red Bull that they had. There was like about 18 cans of Red Bull. Ooh. And I, I don't drink Red Bull. I, I generally hate the stuff, but I filled every soft flask that I had. I had yeah. cans everywhere. I found on that run a 500 ml um, lager, a can of beer, unopened. Oh, wow. An unopened beer. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah. I drunk it, of course. It was great. So did you sleep that night? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't slept since. Yeah. <laughs> Still coming down off the caffeine high. Yeah, yeah. Now, Old Ghost is great. For anyone, if anyone's, you know, done Kepler, you know, Old Ghost is definitely comparable. Um, yeah. I, it's really a jewel in the crown. We say there's probably about five races in Australasia that if you're a trail runner, you definitely, definitely have to do. And Old Ghost is, is, is on there for sure. And we knew, we, I, I met Phil, Phil Rossiter and we aligned with that race. We sponsored that race. We donate, we donate every year um, to the Mokanui Lyle Trust to preserve that trail. Um, and uh, are we... 
we, we got on board with that straight away. I knew that was going to be a sellout event, and it is. It sells out in seconds, and quite yeah. rightly, it's so good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's such a beautiful trail. I did it um, with my son a couple of, or four years ago now, I think. Yeah. We just went and ran it one day. Um, and uh, yeah, he was up climbing rocks and it wasn't the best weather, but you know, it was it was a brilliant day. Yeah, I love it. It's, yep. Yeah, it's a highlight in the calendar. So we're always down for that. And then we try and link that up to um, a week with uh, at the hands of Terry Davis and uh, at the Cavalcade. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you ever want a genuine holiday, the Cavalcade is the best six days of running in the calendar. And it's $750 for, you know, catered portage. Um, like it's a whole week of running on. And it, the cool thing is it's access to trails that you can't get access to. It's private farmland and stations. It's ridge lines. Um, and it's, you know, never rains. It's like, and it's, and it's Terry Davis. What's not to like? Absolutely. Yep luxury woolshed accommodation and yeah yeah, yeah. it's like glamping really glamping with running shoes yeah so you're a little bit battered a little bit dirty sleep you, you know you jump in the river have a wash uh always pubs like you always go to a pub every day um it's you, it's all about support cavalcade's all about supporting otago um district the region that you go through and the course is different every year so you go and you know it's twizel we're going to finish in twizel next year and which means you know running you know, probably from central Otago across the ranges. Um, and yeah, 750 bucks. It's a no brainer. It is the best thing. That is the highlight of my year. So you'll be going over um, from Hartwea to Omerima, I think. I would, yeah. Yep. No, that'd yep. be some stunning, stunning running. Yep. Or walking or whatever you do to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't run at all. And generally, we want to try to sort of keep people together as well so we can sort of, you know, have some fun. And then you, you, everyone gets to a certain point in the day where it's like, okay, does everyone know where they're going? All right, let's just go. And everyone sort of fits right. out. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, shit, no. Oh, if anyone showed up and, like, took it serious, they would bloody ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. The priority each morning is to get satellites and shake off a hangover. That's basically... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, now trail and coaches corner. When oh, yeah. did you? Who? Who's? How did that all come about? I think so. I belong to I think every single Facebook group in New Zealand. Um, no, in the world, and uh, it's 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 mind-bendingly frustrating to be in chaotic, disinformed mad shouting at ma matches you know there's there's I, th I think the, the the straw that broke the camel's back was i think uh, maybe someone w was in wild things maybe and that someone had asked a, a good question about sports bras and uh, i saw a really good qualified response and someone had said oh you know if they were melbourne based they're like i'll oh, go check out she science in melbourne and they do a, you know a proper fitting and you'll probably find that you're not the cup size that you thought you were and you're probably not the bra size that you thought you were and there's a lot of considerations like it was a really beautiful qualified response and then it just turned immediately after like it totally got drowned out by just people going i use this bra i use this bra i use this bra i use this bra and, and it's like all the good information was gone and it was just like this weird echo chamber of just shit and i was yeah. like i can't i can't take this anymore i feel like i need to get a corner of this of the internet at least and go let's just put qualified information in here and let's invite qualified people to join it and anyone is welcome to come and ask a question but understand that when it gets answered you'll probably have it answered in in you know a good quality answer you know three or four good responses and there's really no need for it to go on anymore yeah um and it really came from that. So it was about talking to a, a group of well, 
uh, respected, knowledgeable coaches that were going to come forth with sort of knowledge-based stuff. Um, and I, probably the hard thing there was, I think in the history of the five or six people that we got together, everyone's probably had a little bit of an argument about something on the internet uh, yep. about who's the best coach or whatever it is you want to argue about. Yep. Um, but really it was to put the differences down and go, look, we're not going to disagree about, you know, 95% of them, you know, um, of the, of the right, you know, basics of, you know, getting training and running right. Um, yeah. So, so let's create this thing. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's been hard, I think in the last sort of six months because we haven't had a lot of good new, fresh knowledge base information coming out. The research is now about whether we're using an mRNA uh, vaccine or a deactivated virus or, you know, we, you know what we're going to do. So like, there's, I think that's where the, the world's research is really very much focused on, uh, on helping people and saving lives at the moment in the, effectiveness of a face mask but um yeah. <laughs> we're hoping we'll get some endurance uh, research back out i think and and really start helping the community out with knowledge uh, yeah. and towards the end of the year yeah because it's still i mean uh, people love anecdotes don't they yeah what do you mean steve <laughs> <laughs> so i did this and it works for me therefore it must be good for you and, oh, and here's the yeah. evidence an anecdote yeah sure the n equals yeah. one type yeah. thing um yeah, you always are always going to get that. Um, it's it's good also to zoom out. I mean, that's not necessarily a wrong response. I mean, I've done I do a lot of things that probably I wouldn't recommend everyone does. I, I mean, I can in a in an endurance race, I can eat a bag of wasps. Like I I can I can suffer anything that I put really. What's that? Mouth. Oh, I wouldn't recommend specifically <laughs> wasps, but like I can eat anything and I won't get um, GI distress. Um, but then what I do isn't necessarily right for everyone else. Exactly. Um, yeah, so you, you're always going to get a lot of that. And you're going to see, I mean, you, there's, there's always going to be hot topics, you know, things like cramping is, is a really good one. You know, nutrition's always up for debate. Um, you know, in race and out of race nutrition, there's a lot of people talking, um, you know, keto and low carb high fat. Um, and, you know, they're all very interesting things. And uh, quite rightly, there's a lot of research in, that, in those areas as well. It's just some of them aren't necessarily very easy to do in a laboratory-based environment. So let's hone in on that one. So nutrition, you know, what is right? Low carb, high fat, or low fat, high carb? Oh, um, uh, sorry, okay, we, we can zoom out and we can look it's at... It's a um, question, of course, but... Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, observational analysis is always a good one. So let's look at what the world's best do. And uh, you will look at them probably getting the bulk of their... Um, they'll, they'll have, you know, good amounts of fiber in their diet. It probably means a good amount of um, vegetable... They'll get their, where they can. They've, the proteins are generally coming from um, plant sources. Like um, if you look at, say, East African diets, the marathon runners, they're very high in um, uh, beans. So, they're, you know, even their proteins are coming from, predominantly from plants. Um, if, if you look at, uh, it's, it's, you don't want to cherry pick uh, obser observational bias, they call it. I could say, you know, you look at someone like Sage Canada, um, you know, Mike Wardian backs up from races really well. I mean, he, he's just running across the, um, Delaware at the moment. Um, you know, these, these athletes out there that, that tend to not eat a lot of, you know, saturated fats, um, there is not really a strong argument observationally for, for low-carb, high-fat at a performance level. Um, you know, people will argue that maybe Anton Kropitschka or Timothy Olsen were somewhere along those lines. They were probably, if you look at it a little bit more paleo than they were, you know, low carb, high fat. But, you know, for the, for the, for the main part of it, I think most athletes are eating, um, you know, a pretty varied diet. 
the healthier ones are not having a lot of animal fats and saturated fats. Yep. They're looking to reduce dietary inflammation is probably the best one. We, we produce a lot of acute inflammation through exercise. I mean, that's kind of what we do on a daily basis. So you don't want to double down on it with what you're putting in. And, um, you know, that probably means one beer is fine, but six beers is not. Yep. Um, and, we, you know, these things that we intuitively know, and if you look at it from a holistic perspective, I think probably athletes are, um, you know, they're pretty good at going out and doing their Sunday run, but they're not necessarily good at doing the right things that will help facilitate quality adaptation to that stress. Um, and d diet is definitely one of those uh, places that they can do better. And, and this isn't my specialty. I'm a running coach and I'm very quick to say that there are people that are registered clinicians, people yeah. that have got, um, you know, sports dietitians in particular, let's shout out them right now because they are the people that need to be guiding athletes on what they need to be putting in, you know, in their training and in their racing, really. Good, good. I mean, um, you know, I, when I look at the evidence, I see there's, there's a whole lot of areas, you know, on the edge where people disagree, but there's a whole lot of areas in the middle where people agree. And that is whole foods, um, lots of vegetables and fruit and nuts and seeds is, is going to be good for you. Yeah, with running, you never want to be, you never want to miss the $10 on the ground, or miss the $10 on the table because you're looking for $1 on the ground, you yeah. know, like people always make these mistakes. They're all, you know, they're, we're down in the fractions, right? We're in the skunk works right now of what will make the last 2% work yeah. well for an athlete when, when really the 98% the is, you know, good training frequency, you know, good consistency, good volume, um, and, you know, the right amount of, um, overload stress through intensity um oh just where's the shortcuts though kerry uh in, <laughs> in, in running <laughs> yeah in running i wish there were some probably the shortcut is you know the low-hanging fruit and for most athletes they generally know what it is steve if i asked you what do you think it is that you could do with your running that you're not currently doing that would make you a better athlete more strength work Brilliant. Okay, so do you know what a good good coach would put into your training program? Strength work. Boom. So this there's always is, this is the thing. Why do we need a coach? I mean, can't I be a coach? We all know it, right? But we don't. We we have to be told by someone else, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You, you, if you have an ouchie or a boo boo, and you know you probably shouldn't run, you have to hear that from the physio before you're willing to apply it. But you know it, right? This is always the way. We're waiting for someone else who's you know qualified that we put trust in yeah. to tell us what we already know. Well, to a point, because then if they tell us something that we don't like, then we go yes. to Facebook to get people who tell us things that we do like. <laughs> yeah, I need to find I need to find Karen on Facebook. Um, she's got some YouTube links for me. She'll tell me what I need to know. Yeah, yeah. Just lastly on that, I don't want to let, let's. I don't want to bag. Um, you know, like um, faster training or low carb, high fat or ketosis because it actually has its place. Um, and its places. Um, that. Uh, as a as a in a periodized nutrition approach potentially there is great benefit in running yourself out of carbohydrates low glycemic training um or occasionally uh certainly not always but it's one of those things it's a separate stress that we often don't apply so sometimes it's really good for you to get up fasted and go for your run and it's even better if you can potentially have a couple hours after that fasted to go out for a second run and we know that um you know the mitochondria responds really well to being nutrient de deficient. Um, 
but certainly I wouldn't want to hammer on that mechanic because it'll be at the expense of other training. So maybe on a Saturday, maybe you want to go out and do a double day fasted um, and, you know, be back into refeeding by lunchtime and then training ordinarily the rest of the time. And again, sometimes I would recommend athletes train with a full stomach and sometimes I recommend they train with an empty stomach um, and everything in between because, you know, there's not one single silver bullet when it comes to applying stress to the body. Yeah. Is your focus on ultras or do you train athletes on shorter distances as well? Uh, I think personally, I, I probably excelled in the shorter, faster, punchier stuff. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I understand that from an athletic perspective. Um, but the market, I think, you know, the people that are willing to seek help are those people that are pushing the envelope on what they think is possible, right? Steve, if you said, I'm thinking about doing a 24-hour track race, but I know nothing about it. I'm, you're more inclined to, to seek professional support in that than if you went and said, you know, if you said to me, Kira, I'm thinking about doing a park run, I'll let you know how it goes, yeah. right? So, so what happens is we tend to see those, and we would say the aspirational athletes, the athletes that are doing something that scares them. And, you know, that's bloody cool, but that means that we're going to be geared towards providing information around that, um, you know, difficult, challenging, scary, audacious type stuff. Yeah, 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 no, good. Okay, um, and you mentioned cures for cramp before. So tell me, how do I stop myself cramping halfway through a race? Um, I think probably the first step that people probably need to take on cramping is understand the difference between prevention and intervention because those two things are, 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 are very different and, and respond differently. Everyone's heard about, you know, the, the old pickle juice shots or the, um, you know, the salty brine or something in the mouth, like a chili um, or a mustard or something like that. That's an intervention, right? And it was, it's very interesting how they, how they came about with that is they, they realized that it wasn't actually the muscle that's sending the message to the brain. It's the brain that's sending the, the message to the muscle. It's the brain saying you've had enough. Um, and they can interrupt that by putting something in the mouth that shocks the nervous system out of that um, cramping response. So that's an intervention, right? Now, we don't want to be there, but we sometimes get there. Um, and it's, there's a lot of psychology around it as well. Even believing that you're going to cramp is enough to cramp. And I can give you an N equal, equals one. I did the Kepler challenge when it was a thing and I did the 42K and I remember just before, um, you know, the finish, there's a little bit of a climb and I cramped badly on it. Five years later, I went back and did a 70K course there. And in the same place, I was approaching that climb and I said, oh, this is where I cramped last time. And would you believe it? I cramped right there again. So, um, you know, there's something happening that we know that in the subconscious level that is causing us to get these cramps as well. What we, what we don't know about cramp is absolutely massive. If we look at the prevention side of things, there are so many different types of cramp. And I'll give you an example, right? You're familiar with the cramp where you go out running for ages and a muscle gets fatigued and it cramps. Well, you could tap your finger on your desk in front of you probably for I want to say an hour if you just constantly just tapped it and then it would get a cramp and that's not a muscular cramp there's not a lot of muscle happening in that that's a neuromuscular cramp that's a nervous system cramp you could also say that we so if you look at the cbt's we look at clinical based trials for cramping they tend to get people and they hit them with electrodes right they strap them up and they start electrocuting the muscles until they cramp well that's a different cramp again there's so many different mechanisms that will cause a cramp and there's so many different ways to prevent that mechanism um, and the intervention seems to be to shortcut the, the, the nervous system. 
So it gets complicated. Sometimes it's a lack of electrolytes. Sometimes it's too much electrolytes. Sometimes it's simply a lack of hydration. Sometimes it's too much hydration. Sometimes it's the duration of which you've been doing ex exercise or um, probably more than anything, it's the lack of conditioning that you've had for that exercise. So it seems to be the number one thing that will prevent cramp is doing the right amount of workload for the thing that it is you are doing. So if you're in a, if you say, oh, let's say UTA. You mean we have to train more? Well, that would prevent the cramp. You could either train more or slow down, right? right? Because it's the intensity of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I guess in some regard, you have to take consideration for environmental factors as well, because we know that in hot weather, people cramp more as well. Um, if people have too much water, they, they leach out their um, desalination, basically. You know, just, um, and that was some of the very early cramping science. They found that people working in mines um, were drinking too much water and getting cramp. So the fix was for them to eat salt. And this, where the, this is where the eat salt to fix cramp problem really began. Mm. Um, they're not actually working hard in terms no. of muscle use. Yes. No, not at all. They'd, and they were just drinking too much water um, mm. and not putting any salt in. Yeah. Um, so I think probably, to, it's hard to, to summarize, but, but probably athletes need to do the right amount of training yeah. for the race that they're doing. And the, when I say race, that includes the intensity and pace that they intend to hold right because you could you could you could do the right amount of training for old ghost but if you if you go bat out of hell at old ghost too fast you will also cramp so it's the right amount of training for what you're going to do and that seems to be the best intervention that you can have for preventing sorry the best prevention you can have for cramp all right let's go on to another one how about the use of um compression tights oh, oh this is good so we had um well i got uh got in touch with uh, Dr. Jonathan Peake, who's one of the um, uh, world leading, I think probably is fair, uh, recovery experts. He works at the University of Queensland and um, I actually managed to get him to come out and present at some of our training camps in Australia. Um, and he brought a lot of material on compression garments and uh, he basically did um, meta-analysis on all of the research on compression garments and they are ever so slightly beneficial as a recovery aid not right. as so not during the race after the race no not during the race um they're, they're very middle of the road during a race um and the logic probably sits behind the common sense logic is you you're trying to promote blood flow to an area um so say your calves for example they're a muscle and they need blood um so squeezing it to prevent the blood getting to your calf is counterintuitive you're trying to get oxygen to that site the 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 um mitochondria are fueling themselves off fat glucose and oxygen don't deprive them of any of those things um so you know i wouldn't do compression in an event and for those people who say they help them prevent cramp that's um, probably their brain telling them that they're not going to cramp but i don't want to ruin it for them because <laughs> self-belief is a very powerful tool and in terms of negating it, cramp effects yeah, yeah but yeah. as a recovery tool compression Yes, probably. It's not harmful. If you want to do it, do it. Yep. Good. Okay. Um, how about uh, pre-race, post-race stretching? Um, the research around this is really patchy because uh, the research has shown that it doesn't inc increase performance. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, wobbly on 
uh, reducing injury, but um, you you seem to be no better in terms of uh, you know outright performance. But the the sad thing is when when we talk about performance and we talk about it in a um, research base, we're talking athletes they grabbed from a lab and they made them run in circles for four hundred meters, and you know that's that's what they consider um, an effort. But you know for us, we're going out for a two hour run minimum, you know five hour runs maybe on the weekend, um, and there's no there's no evidence to, to suggest that cramping harms uh, sure. or helps um, or improves performance. Um, but I can tell you, in, in a lot of cases, it helps people. Um, so so do it. You, I, I will talk to athletes all the time. They'll say, "I got to an aid station. I was feeling really bound up, so I did some calf reach, stretches, um, and I felt much better. And I could run again." Well you can't tell me that that didn't help the athlete because it bloody well did. Um, and they didn't seem any more likely to get an injury or cramp in that moment. They look like they worked through some problems. So it'd be remiss of me as a coach to say that stretching as a broad brush is useless. Right. Would you recommend it before? Uh, yes. Yes. I, I, and I would recommend, I, I would recommend uh, dynamic stretching if you can do it. Yeah. Um, and uh I know personally that, that my my response to it has always been that I respond very well to doing some dynamic stretching before and after exercise. I don't necessarily always do it, um, but if I'm feeling a bit niggly, um, I will do it and I will be less, less um, niggly afterwards. It feels to me like it's a cookie jar scenario where the exercise removes cookies and the you know stretching and maintenance puts some cookies back in. Um, and it's it doesn't really appear to be harmful. So... I'm going to say if you want to do it, do it. Yeah, no, fair call. Um, so related to stretching is um, yoga. Is there, I mean, a lot of, I see a lot of, you know, N equals one um, data on yep. people finding yoga very good for their running. But is there actually any, any kind of studies that have been, and, and is it possible? I mean, how can you? I suppose you could put control group into no yoga and a, yeah. Yeah. You know, interestingly, there has been a lot of research on yoga and running. Really? Um, and uh, from a uh, physiological perspective, mm -hmm. uh, there doesn't appear to be any real benefit, but from a psychological standpoint, uh, uh, it most certainly is. You overlooked it, didn't you, Steve? No, no, I, I had thought that I was going to come to that. Honest. Okay. I, I have, I have it in my my notes. Okay, good. Well, that we'll we'll get to that in meditation then. But I think that for a lot of people, I mean, you're here at seven p.m. Arguably still working, and um, you know, there, there's probably not the rest hours in your day that that a person in a modern civilization should be having when you're piling on. And let's say all stress is the same, whether it's physical or psychological. You work long hours. You work very hard, uh, and then you beat your body up with physical exercise. We could all do with 50 to 60 minutes every few days of breathing slowly on a mat and bending our body in weird shapes whilst we're, we released bowel gases. That would be probably better for all of us. I release my bowel gases, gases in, in bed. Um, okay. <laughs> Most of us do actually overnight. Around about, did you know, about 1.8 litres is about average for a person per day. That's... Pretty good. I'll keep that little piece of data for next time my wife complains. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always think of it like as, as like two jugs at the pub. Yeah. That's about how much I fart per day. Yeah. 
yeah. No, I've I've been wondering about that with yoga because I mean, and, and this might have been a, a wee bit of um, urban myth that I gathered was that there was something about um, uh, you know, um, stretchability, um, how flexible we are, yeah. um, is actually maybe a hindrance to to running. Oh, it's certainly once you get to, uh, yeah, so the, it does look like if you do too, too much of anything, it's going to be a hindrance to your running. But yes, extreme flexibility um, does seem to increase in, in injury rates. That is correct. So, um, you know, maybe not yoga every day, but, you know, yoga twice a week, I would say, is, is probably the right amount of yoga for an athlete if they're going to do it. Uh, but there's certainly other interventions that I would say they could be doing that would be more, more meaningful from a running perspective. But, um, yes, uh, hyperflexibility, uh, I think that's around uh, your... Um, Tendons are your are your rebound, right? If you think about your, you know, they're a coil, a shock and spring scenario where the muscle's trying to do one and the tendon acts against it or returns that energy in some way. If that tendon is is too loose, it's going to miss its ability to perform in that optimal window of energy recovery and um, and lend itself potentially to to uh, to tearing or or otherwise. Yep. Yeah. Good. So that, that leaves, you know, yoga being useful for its mindfulness aspect, and I'm quite happy with that one. But coming back to the mindfulness aspect, and, and we're talking about the psychological things that come into, you know, cramping and the lifestyle that we had. What other mind tricks do you give your, um, there must be a good toolbox of mind tricks that you have for your um, yeah, there is a really beautiful uh, meta-analysis on the psychological uh, interventions for endurance performance. Um, and I, I think I actually keep the meta-analysis on my desktop, and I can fire it to you after this. But it, it's really good. It summarizes a lot of research. And Dr. Samuel McCora has done a lot of research on um, different psychological interventions for performance. Um, and... This looks at, I think, a lot of them and boils it down to three, which are genuinely quite um, useful. Um, and I'm going to try to remember all three of them. And it is uh, goal setting. Uh, yep. So having having goals in a race, and that might be, so let's look at crush the cargill is, um, I'm just going to move efficiently to the top of this climb or to the top of, you know, the corner of the road or something. And you set yourself um, a manageable goal and then you achieve it. So rather than, you know, I'm going to do UTA in like 12 hours. No, no, no. I'm going to run, I'm going to run from Queen Vic, you know, down Kadamba to Jamison Creek efficiently with a nice high cadence and then if you do that you achieve that goal you get a lift from that and then that sets you up for your next goal so setting a lot of achievable small goals as well they're not correct yep correct so i'm just gonna you know like it might be i'm just gonna run efficiently up to the corner of the road um and you know um i'm gonna think about you know how i'm moving and when i get there and i achieve that i'll set myself another goal so absolutely that's a really good intervention to do um um being relentlessly positive, we've all seen Kipchoge smiling, even though he's running some speed that I, disgusting speed that I couldn't even hold for 1K. I thought um, he had a cramp in his mouth, actually, but okay. <laughs> no, he genuinely believes it, too. Um, you know, he, he is one of those think big kind of guys. Um, and so, you know, you know, good on him that he's not, he doesn't have any doubt with that smile. He genuinely is smiling and believing it. But if you can be relentlessly positive um, and you find ways to do that, find your own ways. Varshan used to help me with mine. Um, he used to say for every negative thought, try and think of a couple of positive things. Um, yeah. And so it might be, you know, you're doing an ultra marathon and your legs are 
chucking up that that red flag and they're like hey Kieran fucked can you slow down I'm like okay I hear you leads but I'm going to think about two things I like right now and I really like I really like the color green and I can see that everywhere I really like the view from this ridge line that is amazing and you know just those couple of things because they were genuine things I would tell myself that would give me the moment to rally and be positive again and that positivity genuinely will have a measurable effect on the results and I'm, when I say this meta-analysis these are measured results in a lab so you apply these things you'll definitely get them um what was the third one I'll have to have a think so goal setting relentless positivity Yeah, oh, mantras, having a mantra. So um, setting yourself up with, um, you know, a phrase or a sentence, Ali breaks this down further as to whether it's internalized or externalized. And I can't remember, you can go, you can split hairs on exactly how to do it, but but very loosely, if you can just have the, you know, if you have some, some uh, a sentence that you can repeat to yourself that again, that you believe in, and that might be, you know, I've trained for this, I am strong. Mm -hmm. I've trained for this and I am strong. I've trained for this and I am strong. So for something like crush the cargo, you know, that's really, that's really useful stuff. You know, like people, someone can say, you know, I know this place. I know this place. They've been up there a million times. Just yeah. find something that is, that is true to them that will rally them and center them and, and repeat it constantly and as a measurable benefit to doing so. No, that, that's interesting, actually, because what I do at Crush the Cargo, because we don't, especially the winter one, we don't want it to go too long. So what I, what I last year I did was put up a number of signs that were the opposite. Just, right. You know, terrible things like um, <laughs> push yourself, no one else is going to do it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've yeah. taken a leaf out of Chris Townley's book again. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, he's stolen your ideas. Is that how it works? That would be it. That would be it. But yeah, yeah, you're really stupid for doing this. Um, yeah, yeah. It hurts. Why don't you stop now? That sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. I've always wanted to, here's the thing, you might be able to help with this, Steve. Maybe we'll put together the race, but I've always wanted to put together the shittiest ultra marathon in the world. And I mean, just terrible. I want it to be the website's fucking hopeless and there's no course information. People are told nothing. Uh, there's not even a good countdown at the start of the race. When they arrive at the aid station, they realize it's on the other side of the river. I just want like everything to suck and the aid station to be terrible. The signs to be dismotivated to like everything is just terrible. Maybe even a shitty medal. I would like everything to suck because it's funny. People actively seek hardship. They love it. Really? Oh no, isn't it great? Yeah. You stood, you stood at Scenic World for UTA. Did you do the 100K? Yeah, yeah. And you knew you were going out for a 100K journey to come yeah. back to the exact same place. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why did you do that? Uh, well, I, I mean, that you was could a, have stayed at home, Why did I do it with 2,000 other people? <laughs> right. I just, like, I don't understand it in the modern age. No, no, like, we don't, we don't, I don't think we understand it. That yeah. we live in amongst all of this comfort and yet we seek such incredible discomfort it, i think that's exactly why i think there is there's something about being human we need to actually be stretched that's how we grow that's how we become better then your signs and we know just, it yep. yeah you just keep the you just keep demotivating people with signs maybe put up a trip rope yep. maybe <laughs> chop another tree over the path yep, yep. <laughs> get to the top and say, sorry, it's the wrong hill. It's the one over there. Yeah. 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 That sort of thing. Yeah. I'd love to do it. The worst, the absolute worst ultra people would sign up in huge droves. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean, we, we never expected Crush the Cable to um, be popular, and that was part of the, yeah, I don't know. Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> it's great. It is great. One day, I have to make it happen, but it, it, we're now at an awkward clash with Old Ghost. Uh, well, it's a week after Kepler. Uh, what have we got on? Oh, that's our training camp. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's our old ghost training camp. That's why. You can have any time you want to have your training camp at Crush the Cable, you know. Oh, yeah, okay. There is, there is, there's tents. Um, <laughs> if I would love it. to one time. Yeah, definitely would. That's got to be just, is that about the longest day? It must be almost longest day. Uh, yeah, it's close to it. Yeah. Well, we have it on the 12th, but it's just the week after Kepler. Yeah, yeah. I got to, I got to think you're pretty close to longest day. No, not quite. Be far off. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, what have I covered? We've covered um, training, uh, strength yoga, stretching, compression tights. Yep. Oh, post-race recovery, massage. Oh, yeah, love it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, so the, and the science on that is, yes, probably a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't improve performance, but it makes you feel better. Yeah. And it's and, and it, I, it sucks because I've been so middle of the road with every single response here, but yeah. I'm giving you the meta-analysis on a lot of things right now. Yeah. And I still remember Jonathan putting up all of these, you know, you know when you, you do your metas and you've got your black bars and yeah. all your black bars is to, you know, where they fall on the, was, you know, was useful, wasn't useful. And everything was so middle of the road. And I'm like, ah, I just wanted an answer. Yeah. Like, I, there isn't one. Unfortunately, all of the, if there was something good, we would all be doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, massage makes you feel better, um, and it makes you feel like you can go out and do your one k reps tomorrow. Um, you won't do your one k reps any better than if you didn't have the massage. But um, it, it does. It, there's there's really no such thing as flushing out lactic acid. Um, pretty much the same with caffeine during a race, though, isn't it? Uh, caffeine helps. There is about a two to three percent performance advantage for caffeine at the right time. Yeah, I've written no, a psychological. No, 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 it definitely helps, but um, it's very much a too much of a good thing situation on that one, isn't it? Because uh, it's also a diuretic. So um, it's about when you apply that caffeine. Um, and yes, there is a measurable, I've got, I've got the, it's funny, I was looking at the citation for that just tonight. And um, it is two to 3% uh, performance advantage for caffeine. But it, for us ultra distance athletes, we have to be very mindful about when it needs to be applied. And I had an athlete who, one night he went out on the Terps. The next morning he got up and had, what do you have? A couple of multivitamins and a handful of nodos. He went to a race and had an excellent race. It was a 30K race. And then he shows up at UTA 100 and he's like, right, I'm going to go for the handful of, of, of multivitamins and nodos throughout the day. And he had so many nodos and so many multivitamins um, that he finished without most of his mandatory equipment. And um, I'll tell you what he used his mandatory equipment for, wiping his ass. He lost, <laughs> he lost high-vis jackets, long-sleeve thermals. He lost his squadron buff. He wiped his butt with everything that he was carrying because he had had so much no-dose. So don't risk 2 to 3% gains for what could be a 50% hindrance. But he finished. I don't know how he finished. A lighter man, he finished. <laughs> Oh, oh, did you know we get sponsored by Aerodex? Do you really? Yeah, yeah, speaking of wiping your ass. Yeah, yeah, because... I, I have got some Aerodex. I think I've got some nearby, but I yeah, do love my Aerodex. I've Great. got one nearby too, but um, <laughs> I'm wearing Where they come into their own, and I don't expect you guys down there to understand it, um, <laughs> but um, when we run in Australia, it's it's 
disgustingly hot. So the chafe monster is a very real thing. And a lot of us guys will wear tights when, particularly in Queensland. And so if you're in, you know, two times you tights, um, you look like you're, you know, Axl Rose in the nineties, but, um, or we've lost your bike, but unfortunately it's a guaranteed way to pretty much be chafe free. Um, the Aerodax are a great companion to a pair of tights and that's why yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll always be a fan. Yeah, I don't know why it just made me think of Aerodax talking about his wiping his ass with us. Um, yeah, Raz is cool. He's a cool dude. Okay, anyway, um, finally, recovery, hot versus cold. Oh, man. Um, the, you know, actually, I don't want to miss the important thing here, and that is that you can use, um, uh, mechanistically, it's quite different, but you can use post-training um, heat interventions like a sauna or a hot tub or a hot bath to simulate altitude training. Um, so it'd be remiss of me to just miss that. Um, but for those who can't do altitude training, but they're going to go race somewhere, that's, that's going to be particularly high or challenging from that perspective, hard rock, a lot of stuff in the States, um, would be to where you can finish your run and spend 20 minutes in a sauna or you know uncomfortably hot baths or um, hot tub. And you'll have the same effect as training at altitude for the period of your training, but you also you can't put cold water in, so that, that's the only other thing you need to know there. But um, th that's, uh, that's 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 separate in terms of of, of recovery. Um, you you need to avoid cold water, um, and I'll tell you why. And I've been able to to replicate this in labs very easily. Um, if you use ice treatments, um, you um, hinder the inflammatory response to the muscles, and it's that inflammation that helps the muscle adapt to the stress of the activity. So they get, they, they got a, you know, a bunch of people doing weights programs and they get made, had some of them doing, you know, ice, uh, ice um, treatment um, and then some of them not. And the group that didn't do any ice treatments had much better results for muscle growth. So um, I would say for our, for athletes that are particularly doing a session that is likely to promote muscle growth. So that might be a strength session that involves hills, accelerations or speed. Uh, I would say de definitely avoid the ice in those scenarios. If you are looking to recover from a race and you want to go back out again and you're not looking to, um, you, you're not seeking an, an adaptation or a response to training. If it's a race and you want to recover, then I would use, I would consider rice, you know, the old sports rest, ice, compression, elevation. That's when they come in. That's the recover from an event and you want to get back out into your training. But in training, you definitely want to avoid rice um, in the same way that, you know, you, you would, I would avoid heat training unless you were looking to simulate altitude. Okay. Okay. Yep. Should I cover it a lot there? Was that right? Is that okay? Yeah, that's pretty good. So pretty much nothing. Yeah, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it. I wouldn't get it. If you want to stand in a stream and drink a tall boy, um, if that's your thing, you should definitely do that. Well, well, my thing post-training is to finish at the inch bar and have a pint of IPA. So Boom. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, jealous. Do you know? Do you, you must have run with Michael Hugavine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Aura. Yeah, Hugavine. I still some of my fondest memories are going for runs with with Hoogie and um and finishing a run standing in a river drinking a, a tall boy. So, right. Um, so good you, times. We just need to avoid the river and just drink. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, and it was funny because I asked Jonathan Peak to bring uh, what was the research around uh, training in alcohol because I, I always felt that I probably hindered a lot of my best years by drinking too much. Mm -hmm. um, and all of the research, and he brought a lot of research, and it was beautiful research. Uh, Shall sound like Donald Trump now? Um, it all started <laughs> with it all started with I've seen the research; it's great research. Um, it all started with the effect of alcohol on, and he must have brought like two dozen studies, and they all started with that sentence. And I just suddenly realized that here's all these grad students that are doing thesis work on, and they're like, what can I do my thesis on? I know, let's get people drunk in a laboratory. So there was so many different research and some of the volumes of alcohol that were applying to these people, some of them were like two bottles of wine, two bottles of wine, Steve, go for a run and then drink two bottles of wine. It was unbelievable. But what, what it appears was, most of them were measuring hydration, right? You're fine to drink alcohol up to the point that you start pissing out your reserves of water. And then it's stupid to be drinking alcohol. So as a coach, you know, like I'm like, one beer's good, two beers probably the limit, six beers is stupid. Um, so Like life, really? Yeah, yeah, ever. And it, I, I feel like we've covered some common ground here is like a little bit of something is fine. Too much of it's not going to help you. Um, but yeah, I was more interested in what, you know, what actually is the effect of alcohol, maybe on the gut biome and, you know, what are some of the other things that are happening to the human body? But unfortunately, these are really difficult to measure in a lab. So the research hasn't really been done. Um, and we don't really know. And I think probably the forefront of science and endurance sport right now is understanding the athlete gut biome and exactly what role it plays on, you know, metabolism of our um, carbohydrates in exercise um, and you know what what is the shape of what we should be consuming in races and what we should be uh, fortifying our gut biome with leading into races so that we're ready for an onslaught of you know maltodextrin and you know fructose and glucose and all of those sorts of things like really understanding all of this um, I think that's probably the stuff that we we don't know, and it's exciting that I think that that's probably the stuff that we will really learn about in the coming years. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that relates to, you know, the, the Kenyans and their bean diet, because it probably affects their gut biome. They tend to get everything done in about two hours. So um, everyone's always interested to know what would happen if we took those Kenyans and put them, you know, into the Swiss Alps and made them run UTMB and all of all of those sorts of things. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there's good arguments both ways for that. But I think that they're very refined to uh, a very... Um, you know, mechanistically, that's a it's a repetitive process for them. The speed that they're running at, the, you know, the same they're doing the same cadence, the same pace, and it's unflinching for two hours. Whereas, you know, they their body wouldn't respond well to the varied, um, you know, assault of the cargo. Yeah. You know, the yeah, the low speeds of climbing, the pole work. Poles poles are uh, poles are uh, uh, approved. Cargill approved, absolutely. I've I've seen your recent posts on training and coaches corner about polls, and I I gave that my own um, um, anecdotal thumbs up. Yep. Great. You've used a few, you've used polls at times and found them useful. Uh, absolutely. Um, we've got holes down here, so we have to. But um, yeah, I, I'm surprised that people don't understand. New Zealand and Australia has been really late to get on board with this, and when we were when we're working in Europe. Um, you know, like it's second nature. The minute you're going out onto trails, even for, you know, most of your trail runs, you would, you know, training runs, you'd take a set of poles with you. But um, we, I, with something about that staunch Kiwi attitude that, 
you know, thou shalt not, you know, show weakness or something, right? Right, right. Is that is that where Chris is coming from? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, he's there's plenty of weakness there. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, he's he's won the South Island DNF um, crown. Has he? He's got good one. He, yeah, he stole it off um, Matt Bixley. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, what did, he actually went down there in pretty good shape to do. There's a race in. I want to say it was through Nelson. There's a station through there, 80k Ultra. It's a oh, Molesworth. Yeah, Molesworth. Yep. And uh, Shitty is in good shape, but he just fell away. I think he's, I don't know, I don't think, couldn't quite get the nutrition in right or something. But um, yeah, I think, see, see, you know, like almost 40, 50% of our DNFs and ultras are a gastrointestinal distress. Yeah, that's interesting, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, let's, let's stop for a minute. 20 to 25% of people don't make it to the start line. So if you, if you go to, say, Tarawera Ultra, if you go to an event that historically didn't have a refund policy, up to 25% of the um, registration bags don't get collected. Um, those, are, those are people that, are, that didn't even see the start line. Yeah. So just, just, just making the start line is a success. But then, you know, the finish line, obviously, if you've got a race where you know, another 20% of people aren't making it and half of them aren't making it because of, you know, stomach problems. You're talking, you know, one in 10 people minimum in a race is not going to finish because they throw up all over themselves mm. um, because they just couldn't get their fueling right. And mm. um, I got to think that's something that can be resolved, but it's a, it's such a moving target. It's a hard one to get right. Yeah. And it's going to be highly individual. It is, it is, and it changes over time. You know, like what you do at the start of Crush the Cargill is different to probably what the fuel you take on at the end. Yeah. People yeah. will shift and they have to shift with it. Yeah, the first time I did Crush the Cargill, I think I aimed to have a slice of pizza after every lap. I did 12 laps. I managed a, a full pizza, which was eight pieces of pizza. I didn't eat another pizza for a year. <laughs> no, and I can, I can tell you that the concern with that one is that it's pretty high in fat and nothing will brick a digestive system like a high amount of fat. There's, and fat has no role to play in, in, in ultramarathons. It's not a fuel source that you can metabolize for, for energy. So, um, so without the topping, it would have been great. <laughs> yeah, it, pro it probably would have been. Yeah. All well, those things a um, pumpkin and feta cheese pizza. It was quite nice. But, um, Yum. Yeah, homemade. Yeah, yeah see, so I, I, cheese is probably the thing I miss the most, damn it. But yeah, pizza. Yum. I'm thinking. I'm thinking for a Blue Lake Challenge. I'll carry a keg. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, you should a, come up like a camelback. Uh, no, a full. Uh, oh, actually, it's, it's going to be a mini mini keg, and I'm going to have a um, you know, the SodaStream gas canister to charge it, and a proper um, beer tap. So I'll be able to, you know, proper um, yeah. crouch of brewing beers out on the trail. Uh, and the sad oh, thing, about, so, I, I thought you'd have a hose going to your mouth. Oh no, not for me actually. I, so. Ironically, I don't drink, so um, oh. it's for everyone else. So this is my, I would rather help people than... Um, the impression I did get after talking to Chris about Blue Lake was a lot of beer is drunk. Oh, there's a lot of beer elapsed stuff. You must have that with Chris. Don't try no. and tell me that Hoogie didn't try and do a can a hill. Well, he hasn't really done it yet, but he has been talking about it, yes. Has he? Yeah. Yeah, he'll probably go a big bot for every hill. How long does it take to get up and down? Uh, if you take your time, oh, you can, uh, an hour is my fastest. So, you know, an hour 20 is casual, very casual. Okay. Yeah, cool. So somewhere in there. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more than, and so the science on this, for anyone who wants to know what, if they're shaping up their hydration strategy for crush the cargo is that is the average human. There's no, and there's no shortcuts to this. We will clear, all of us will clear about one standard drink per hour 
and running faster doesn't help. Lying down doesn't make a difference. Being a juggernaut just slows the onset, but you will clear about one standard drink per hour. So after that, the um, factors are you're getting carbohydrates from it, but you're also getting a diuretic from it. Yes, and you f- you'll fall over a lot. Um, even if you don't feel drunk, you will. I can tell you now from my, what did I do? 12 beers in 12 laps at um, at the Blue Lake Challenge. And I just got upset with falling over. I was so frustrated with tripping over. So is this why you don't drink anymore? <laughs> oh, there's lots of reasons why I don't drink anymore. But yeah, sure, that was, that wasn't, I don't know whether it was a highlight. <laughs> no, nice. Okay, okay. Um, last question. Uh, what's the best training plan for the Revenant? Oh man, is that still a thing? <laughs> I thought we all got bored of that after it didn't work the first year. Yeah, no, it happened this year. Three people finished it. Oh, really? Yeah. That's Are the- you doing it? Yes, that's that's funny actually because because that was our kind of attitude too. And, yeah. And then I went and signed up. Ah, yeah. oh, so this is the thing, and and Carnazzi, Dean Carnazzi, he writes it really well in Ultra Marathon Man. With the the joke, the the book is a joke, and and he's a joke, but he wrote a <laughs> sentence in there. You know, I'll say like I'll say what I will. He's outside of the room, yeah. um, and I think I can outrun him. He's one uh, of the fans. Oh yeah, he um <laughs> he said he heard about people doing the Western States hundred mile and he thought nothing of it at the time, but somewhere in the fertile soil of his mind, a seed was planted. And I feel that happens with people all the time. And you probably heard about the Revenant and you <laughs> probably didn't really give it a second thought, but the seed oh, no, we did, was we, we, we mocked it. We, we deliberately mocked it. We've stolen its um, advertising slogans and put them on the crush the cargo page. <laughs> Oh man, don't ever change. Um, <laughs> I think I think it was unfortunate because they had everyone's attention in that first year, and they didn't seek the advice of you know any qualified orienteers who could have set an excellent course. You know, there's a lot of people that could have helped facilitate that to be the amazing thing that it could have been. And um, I feel like they just missed a trick there um, because I don't know whether the ego was so such that they they weren't willing to ask for help or you know seek support um they wanted something to be impossible but actually what you do want is you want it to be very hard in the first lap yeah and and even harder in the next lap but you know you, you need to have that attrition you need yeah. to be, like, it needs to be riveting some people may get onto the last lap yeah. you don't want everyone wiped within the first two hours because what's well, just disappointing yeah and you could chalk it up to bad weather, but then actually you need to be able to zig when it's time to zig and zag when it's time to zag. You need to change the course so you've got something that is, again, barely achievable in the first lap, almost certainly not achievable in the second lap, and good fucking luck getting out of the third one. Yeah, so it was a bit of a different um, kettle of fish this year. They had it, um, so they started at night the first year in bad weather. Yes. The second year they started at six o'clock in the morning and it was beautiful weather. Great, yeah. And they hadn't changed the course. Yeah. And they had the same people turn up. So, you know, yeah, it made it a wee bit different. So three people finished. Wow. Excellent. Well, yeah. that's cool. So now, now we've got something that's like on the fringe of, of achievable. And I'm yeah. sure that they've now said it that they're like, actually, we don't want three people finishing. We're going to make it slightly harder. Yeah, I can imagine it will be. They're changing the course. and Yeah. Yeah. So I think what you're going to have, Steve, is you're going to have a pass mark, right? They missed it by miles here. Oh, sorry, miles here. And then they made it sort of here. And now they're going to, tr- they're going to try and they're going to have to do this. And this yeah. is what Laz does with Barclay is he wants it over time. You're going to get closer and closer to that, you know, that, that Y gradient. 
yeah, yeah. Oh, that'll be a challenge. Yeah, so your training plan, sorry, is spend oh. a bit of time in the hills, um, get into some, um, um, shit, I'm not, I can't believe I'm going to say this, spend some time with Matt Bixley. Um, oh, shit, did you know that's exactly what I'm doing? Oh. <laughs> That that is that is that is terrible advice, and I feel very sorry for you. Um, Give me a bit of beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Matt Vixley. Um, no, I love love that guy. Uh, I love people that have got. Um, he's got some spunk. That guy. He's got some attitude. I love it. He says he says things. You know, like I don't, I don't, I want to, I don't want beige friends that never speak their opinion. You know, you always want people that are gonna they're gonna tell you something, and you know they're not gonna. He's a straight shooter, and, and uh, full credit, but. Bicky is a mate. We go, we go a long way back. Um, <laughs> love that guy, but I'm glad he's not on Facebook now. There's no space for him on Facebook anymore. <laughs> he's still on Messenger. <laughs> yeah, it's not. But Facebook is not big enough for both of us, Matt Bixley. Give him two days. He'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, sure. Love that guy. Oh yeah. So yeah, you just you need to spend some time out there and, and get used to being on terrain for long periods of time. And he, you know, he knows what to do. He's done, you know, 24 hour Rogaine worlds, and it's you know, it's just. Call Revenant what you what you will. The, the, one of the, probably my biggest criticisms of it is they'll try and pass themselves off as the world's toughest trail race, but they're actually just a very hard orienteering or rogue event. And if you'd said it was an orienteering or rogue event in the onset, no one would have sh shown any interest because apparently those things aren't sexy anymore. But they really are, and they're very good fun. Um, but everyone's excited about trail races, so you have to say it's a trail race, and then you have to set up control gates, and it's an orienteering event. Don't. You can't pull the wool over my eyes. No, no, I'm doing it for the orienteering. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting more off trail and yeah, this is anyway. So they're really good fun, Steve. Have you done some? I've done a few games, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's just a, such a good way to even, you know, I don't know whether you organize a lot of, you know, group runs or stuff, but even if you go get guys together on a Sunday and go, you know, rather than just do a long run, I've set up a, you know, urban road gain or something, you know, you can have so much fun just getting out and doing your long run in a completely different format that's refreshing and, and engaging. And I think that's really what it's all about is making, we're all doing this recreationally anyway, aren't we? You know, this, is another, this isn't a job for anyone, um, you know, other than me it's my job um but <laughs> but in terms of the running you know like we're all just doing it for fun anyway so <laughs> the the process of training has to be fun as well and and i think you know if you want to come a long way back to squadron that's that's what it is it's really we just have fun we just want yeah. it to be fun and if you get a bit of running done that's great oh, that's nice that's a, probably a good place to finish so um thanks heaps for um dialing in and um or zooming in shall we say yeah. Isn't it yeah, look how Zoom has become, you know, the the communication mode of choice. I should have invested in Zoom at the same time I didn't invest in Google, um, NVIDIA and many other things. But um uh, damn it, I'm trying. I've I've hedged some bets recently on some small businesses in Wellington and they support some Kiwi firms and I don't know, ride the lightning. We'll see. I Interesting times. I do actually have a family member who did um invest in Zoom six weeks before New Zealand. Damn. So start of February, he he thought, hmm, I'm gonna buy shares in Zoom. What? That's genius. Yeah. Why are you interviewing me? Get them on. Yeah, yeah, I I, I might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, if I don't catch you guys before I crush the cargo, we'll make sure we we'll give you a shout out as we're doing laps around that silly blue lake. Um, <clears throat> And uh, as we're passing through the South Island, we'll must uh, try and drop in on you guys in Dunedin at some stage in the uh, octagon and uh, maybe get up the pineapple or something and share a few beers. Good. Yeah. No, that'd be great.
you know